Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome back to School of Last Podcast. Rick Roberts here today, and today's episode is going to feature Nathan Meckel from Casa de Rock, who is a <laughs> producer, and he's helped me with my last CD. And I know that a lot of you guys out there are producing CDs, both live and some of you guys listening, I still play some music. So we're going to talk about the process that I've gone through the past six or seven weeks to get this project together and what Nathan's brought to it. And he'll give us some ideas of what you can bring to the table when you record and make it a little bit easier on the producer, hopefully. Hopefully. So, yeah. So we'll get to that in just a second. As always, I'd like to read a quick iTunes review. This one comes in from Coffee Talk with Shell, and she says, find myself motivated to continue following my dream of stand-up comedy and improve my own writing and performing skills, applying the awesome advice given by Rick Roberts, and I love what Gavin brings to the table, too. Gavin is probably at a table eating right now, and he'll have to edit this later, so I'll let him know all about that. But thanks, Shell. Make sure you send in those iTunes reviews. We'll get them on the air. Our goal is 100 by the end of the year. We're at 69 or 70. We need to flip it. We need to step it up, gang. Uh, so thanks again for listening, Shell, and everybody out there. So Nathan is sitting across from me. I first met Nathan Meckel when I moved to Nashville in 99. Mm-hmm. And my wife at the time was at that time was interning at RCA Records, and she met Mark Meckel, who's a publisher and Nathan's father. And I was getting some of my tunes together, wanted to get them published correctly through ASCAP and all that. And Mark said, "Hey, you ought to write some tunes with my son Nathan. He's got a good ear." And that's when I met Nathan, and we came over and cranked out a good chunk of "Fishing with Dynamite," my <laughs> CD from a long time ago. Yeah. And so that's when I met Nathan, and uh, I'm going to let you tell them, Nathan, a little bit about your backstory, how you even got into music, and all about your music family and your upbringing in Kansas, and, and how you got to Nashville real quick. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I got to Nashville via Kansas, western Kansas. The wind just kind of kept blowing me, <laughs> yeah, and that's how I ended up here. Yeah. Um, I, my, my grandfather had a retail music store, which then my dad got into retail music, and then segued into a studio business which then segued into a publishing business music publishing business over several years and then there were always musicians sleeping in the basement at the house in kansas and and bands coming through and solo artists and all that kind of stuff and i just started picking up guitar around those folks and eventually my my mom and dad moved to nashville he was also working in los angeles at the time and uh, they chose nashville and moved here and you know i started playing in bands even when i was in high school in Kansas and then moved to Lawrence, Kansas. And when I went to school and played in bands there and then transitioned here in 1998, I think. So I, so I'd been here about a year when we met. Okay. And, um, and then just came here to, you know, make stuff up and call it work. Yeah. <laughs> That's we're You know, as we do this project and stuff, it's, it's amazing. We have to keep telling ourselves we're getting away with the American dream of, yeah. of being creative, having fun and not, working for one specific man over and over we we have to work for a lot of different demands yeah yeah and, and the, t- the terms are, are pretty short so we can get past <laughs> the tougher ones but you know lots of fun projects uh and i'll have i'll just quickly throw in quickly um your website and stuff at the end okay but nathan's got a lot of stuff going on he's produced a lot of really talented singers uh he's, he's written with a ton of people and i was happy that it was one of those casual things. One day I was posting something on a Facebook group about the podcast, and I saw you had posted a thing on maybe Nashville Gig Finder or yep. something like that. Yeah. 
and it's just like, hey, Nathan Meckle, if you need something produced, give me a shout. And I was like, wait a second. Nathan's <laughs> always busy. This might be my one chance. <laughs> and I'd already gotten three songs uh, recorded with Rick Altizer, who I'll probably have on the podcast at some point. But Rick was tied up doing a, a full-blown movie and the soundtrack. And he's like, man, I can get to you maybe in October or November. But when I saw your thing pop up, I'm like, I gave you a call. And we're like, hey, this might work. You had a little window, which is, yeah. it seemed like the exact amount of window time you needed to get my project done. It was. And I'm so, I'm so glad it, it happened because we had so much fun fishing with dynamite and i heard car talk. i was in portland oregon last week and i heard car talk on the radio and i was like hey up on blocks i think that was even way back when was on there yeah they played um, a couple yeah so anyway i was glad i was glad to get to do it because like we had we had talked when we were making the record just how fun it is and for me it's outside the rules of quote-unquote normal music right yeah it's, it's funny i would I would, you know, basically the way it worked for for this project, Nathan had me come over and I laid down some basic guitar and mm-hmm. vocals just so mm-hmm. he knew where the song was and what it was like. And that was kind of like, uh, just like a blueprint. Yep. And I'd say, you know, I'd love for this song to sound kind of like, uh, you know, whatever band. And he would kind of get that in his mind. But I also said, you know, feel free to run with any tangent that, <laughs> that you get on because I, I just trust him from hearing all of his stuff that he's done. Like, I know he's going to make it good. Plus, it's a chance for you know for you to kind of expand your portfolio in a different area and just show people, hey, I've got these other chops too. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was, uh, I, I uh, to quote Spinal Tap, I feel like I, I ran with it like a little boy in a field <laughs> uh yeah you you said uh just do whatever and uh which is what i did and kind of what i i think for the most part i always do just kind of follow my gut on it but i sometimes when we as we were listening back i don't know if you remember this but as we were listening back and we had two tracks we had three tracks we had seven tracks and and we'd pull one up and like oh i don't even remember doing that uh which was fun it was like a new discovery because i was just the wackiest stuff i could kind of think of yeah it was, <laughs> it was funny for me because he he'd be you know playing a track you know in between takes or whatever and, and he would start laughing at something and this, this is how musical Nathan is. I'm like, what are you laughing at? There's not even vocals there. He goes, no, no, I did a seven-eighth seven time switch in a 4-4 four, four zone and, and threw a, a, a logarithm. On, I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. He's like, that would never fly in a real song. I'm like, okay. But it was yeah. like you would do these things yeah. that would crack yourself up. And I thought, well, how fun is that for you on, on a creative level is just to get in there and, and just do some stuff that – would would maybe only be weird to you. Yeah. But once you explained it to me, it was funny to me too. Like, yeah. Well, and, and, and normal day to day, quote unquote, professional music people for whatever that's worth, just people that are trying to be serious about their songs, whether they're rock or country or pop or singer songs, but they're taking them, their music maybe, maybe a little too serious. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I was laughing because most people be like, oh, that's terrible. You can't do that. And right. I'm like, oh, yes, we can. It's a Rick Roberts record. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> There's no limits on the fun. And it, it was really fun for me. Like I almost, I had to I had to dial it back a little bit because every time we'd get done recording something, I really wanted you to give me the full version of it right there so I could take it home and, and let my yeah. kids listen to it, my family because it was just so good the stuff you would layer on there, and and you also did some producing magic as far as helping. <laughs> And I'll just be honest, my voice, I've got about two notes that I can holler, and they're not even in tune. And so, you know, I would lay to, even, I'm so self-conscious. When well, I'm, you yelp a little bit, too. I yelp you, a little you bit. You holler and yelp. Yeah, and I got some screech, screechy noises in there. And definitely I have a, a, a preponderance of nasal. A little bit. Yeah. So, Nathan and through his producing ears was able to not only you know help get that in line a little bit so it wasn't annoying to the whoever buys the cd but he also what i liked about what you did that um like i didn't even think about is because you know frequencies Mm -hmm. and where they lie within a song you were able to put you know 
I think you even said one day, my, my nasalness kind of gets lost with heavy acoustic guitar in the yeah. background. So you're able to either pot that stuff down a little bit or emphasize the percussion a little bit more in a lot of tracks. Mm-hmm. Bring in different instruments to where my voice had a place to be in that yeah. song. Yeah. Which is, it's it's mind-blowing to me that you can hear that and, and figure out where to put it. But you did that really well. Well, thank you. Um I'm a foodie, as you probably know, mm-hmm. and so to me, music is a little bit like cooking. And so, you know, sometimes you need more sugar, sometimes you need more salt, right. sometimes you just need hot sauce, uh, whatever it is. So, I've working with so many singers over the years, I found that I mean, there's some singers that just it's effortless, and that's it's great. And then there's a lot of people that have just a certain frequency in their voice, a tone that really shares the same space as, as a lot of other like maybe it really shares the same space as a mid-range instrument like a guitar or they have a lower register and it gets it gets kind of muddy or confusing with some of the lower register sounds in your you know bass or kick drum or something else in your track and there's and there's challenges with different singers and so with you there was a lot of that kind of like upper mid-range stuff not to get too technical for you guys but that that rubbed with some of the guitars and other things so it's just about finding that space uh in the in the track to get you to fit in where you're not too loud but you're, you're fitting in right right you know with everybody no you did a great job of you know finding i guess the pocket yeah to put that in and the other thing through technology and it's it was funny to me because you know these songs i'll sing on my acoustic guitar in front of an audience so the timing is there naturally for me to sing you know slow down maybe pause for a punchline yeah. those kinds of things uh, but we would record and i would be i, I was never in all 15 <laughs> songs right where i needed to be to make this it sonically work like I'd be ahead of the beat behind the beat yeah. two on top of the beat or two under you know but you know you can I mean those were like microseconds that you would yeah. nudge Milli- the track milliseconds yeah milliseconds that he would move it over and it would be exactly where it needed to be yeah so I mean all those things were helpful to me that I couldn't and I'll be honest I, I did a rough track of like three or four of these songs on GarageBand at home that probably I, I probably put 60 hours into <laughs> and it sounded like three minutes worth of you know intense behind the scenes stuff so you know one thing we talked about on the podcast in the past is kind of building a team of people that can help you do things that aren't in your normal range of of skill yeah not your major skill set and it's just it's totally worth the money when you're going out to put a a cd together especially if it's going to be a musical cd whether it's parodies or originals you know to find somebody out there that can make you sound the best you can that can make the project the best it can Mm -hmm. and you know, especially if you're a musician out there that does comedy, there's no reason not to invest in yourself on these kinds of projects. And yeah. t- time and time again, when I listen to, you know, if I'm in a rental car and I've got XM radio on and listen to comedy channels, you just hear stuff that's poorly produced. And yeah. somehow it made it on there. But it it's not that much of a difference to go ahead and, and spend the money and get it to where it's going to sound great for forever i mean absolutely i was having this conversation with an artist yesterday that i've recorded with in in the past and i'm I'm likely to do a fall project with and we were talking about this very thing and 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 sometimes for people sales are down but having a great product still sets you apart and maybe you make up for it on the live booking end and we talked about uh well here in nashville and i'm sure that the same thing's going on in la and new york as well but you know a lot is getting done in smaller spaces we're not booking these bigger studios all the time i mean i still do depending on the project but we're doing it in smaller spaces um and there's a lot of software that makes up for the real thing you know you've got great piano emulations now and all kinds of things but i still and i know it's sort of is 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 a bit 
uh, put pad in my own uh, wealth or not wealth, but uh, benefits to me, produce the producer. But it's like for whether it's me or anybody else, still saving your budget to get one or two people like that in your project, whoever's in your world that that can help you. I think that still is invaluable. You know, whoever's in your camp that can help you get there. You know. Maybe you don't have the money for the expensive studio or the, all the players and stuff like that. If you do, great. But if not, getting somebody in your camp that can really give you good advice creatively, mm-hmm. you know, in the production realm is still invaluable. Yeah. And and you are also, just so people, when they listen to my CD, if they get it, and we'll have a few tracks at the end so you can kind of check out a taste of it. You know, Nathan is able to play a few different instruments. Mm-hmm. So it also took the pressure off of me having to come over here and like lay down. And I would really be able to play three chords and you yeah. know, there'd be, you'll hear this CD and I just want people to know when you get it, it's, uh, it's Nathan doing <laughs> all the heavy lifting and then he's fixing my voice to make, to make it go where it needs to be. So, I mean, it's, it's a huge, when, it, when you use the term producer, I yeah. mean, he really produced a ton of, of everything on the CD. Um, and if, for the people that don't maybe follow music as close, can you kind of just tell them a little bit about what the producer's typical role is in mm-hmm. when a band comes to to a producer? Well, every producer, yeah, every producer is different, and I, I know quite a few of them. And there are there are people like myself that I just grew up. Maybe it's from growing up in Western Kansas where there is nobody, <laughs> no people anywhere, <laughs> and you have to just kind of do a lot and wear a lot of hats. I'm a very hands on producer for me personally. I mean, whether that's programming drum beats and and stuff and faking my way through keyboard synth patches playing electric guitar singing background playing percussion um you know all that kind of stuff there are other people that are are less hands-on and a little bit more of a a big picture they know the right people to call Mm -hmm. you know sometimes that might in the end be a little more expensive they might still be a great you know conduit for all that and like i hey i know this great drummer or this great mixer this great whatever and they put the right ingredients together in the room and then there are, are a lot of guys that uh, and there's a lot of guys like myself that that really are hands-on that that not only know the right guys to call if you need those people for other musicians or role players in the in the project but really play a lot of instruments do you know a lot of programming and other things on the computer as well or, or whatever medium you're recording in so but for me personally i'm very hands-on as you know you know yeah it's I'll, great i'll play my way through something i'll sing something if we need to sing it i'll shake a tambourine i'll yeah. beat on a pizza box yeah. <laughs> with a stick yeah <laughs> whatever makes the cool sound like i will get out there and get my hands dirty and do it yeah and that's the thing i like too with uh with nathan is here is when i would come over and have an idea uh, you know i gave him the green light to throw any ideas in the mix as we're as we're going yep and sometimes i just say hey man that'd be that would sound great if you just popped in and did a quick backup vocal on that and sometimes he would just pop up and, and help out in different spots and i was listening to the cd you know i've listened to it probably 20 times since we put it out just to kind of like figure out which ones i'm going to start doing live and all this stuff and the my favorite thing that you did on the cd is when you sing ebay <laughs> We talk about one of the songs that say I bought a used mattress on eBay, and it's, I didn't catch it the first couple of times. Then all of a sudden, I'm driving. He's like, "You're on eBay." You remember doing that? Yeah. So, so some of these things I'm still just kind of catching up to as I listen to them. But that was that was a nice little you know extra topping on the pizza, and there's a few other places where you pop up. Now, also on a few of these tracks, I don't know if it was three or four, we had Robbie Morris who played yeah. uh, banjo and some dobro and some dobro, and he sang a little bit. Mm-hmm. He sang back up on a couple of tunes in. The, in the mix and when you hear that i mean it's all robbie he brought in some great stuff and that's a, that's a skill that a producer has too is even though i wasn't here in the room when robbie came over mm-hmm. you know nathan was kind of 
able to give Robbie the idea of, of what we needed for the song, and also very specifically because Robbie's a, a live outdoor, yeah, you know, not not a studio musician per se, right? But he was able to kind of take Robbie's chops and put him in the right spots for the song, yep. And then I would come back and listen, and, and you know, Nathan had such, had such a good ear; he didn't have to make too many changes at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Nathan had him right where he needed to be in those songs to where it added to it, but didn't you know overtake a song? Yep, yep. Which would have been fine too, you know. He brought yeah, right, right. Do a riverboat rambler for well, the next three minutes. I'd be okay. With he 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 brought the banjo in and the dobro, and uh, I can't remember if he played any mandolin or not, but um, I don't even remember. I know I did somewhere along mm-hmm. the way, but he added some great flavors. Nice right. nice little hillbilly flavors. Right. <laughs> he did a great job. So yeah. thanks, Robbie, for that. And then you got to play a little bit on on the slide pedal guitar. Um, that was one of my favorite moments. Yeah, when you listen, if you guys listen to Priorities, and I'll put that on the end of this CD or end of this podcast, um, you kind of have a SpongeBob feel for the <laughs> for this tune, Priorities. That's what my daughter said. She goes, "Dad, that sounds SpongeBobby." <laughs> yeah, which, which that's what I like. That's something when I wrote the song, I couldn't even predicted how it would turn out, mm-hmm. and so it's fun to see the layers that you brought to it and just the different directions it takes. The other thing about this CD that, that I really like. You know, Fishing with Dynamite was kind of an alt-country kind of comedy feel all the way through, yep. which is cool. This one, I really wanted every track just to be as different from the one before it as possible. Yeah. And so, was when you heard me say that initially, was that a good thing for you, or were you like, oh, that's going to be a lot of different things going on. It's going to take longer. It's going to be more intense. No, that's a great thing for me. And that kind of back to what we when we first started this, when we were talking about a few minutes ago, of just you know the difference and the and the lack of rules in in or at least how I perceive them in in comedy and what we did doing it as a one off for every song. I don't know. There might be producers out there that that turns their head around, but for me, that's like it's. It's just every song's a single, and we do whatever we want. So we didn't really have to follow any you know mold or pattern. Ten songs in, where we've got to have some responsibility of cohesion. Right. <laughs> we threw that out the window, and every song is its own little thing. And to me, that's fun. I mean, just a lot of fun. Good, good. And it's one of those things where I, to be honest, as you download music now and mm-hmm. you listen to it, if it comes up on Sirius, people don't typically listen to the whole CD all the way through anymore. I know I rarely do. Yeah. Um, and even when you download the album on iTunes, you usually hit shuffle and you just hear stuff pop in and pop out. Yeah. So I kind of went at the CD in that approach as, you know, they all are kind of singles. They'll all kind of pop up. But once I had the 15 songs, which was a pretty mm-hmm. adventurous undertaking uh, yeah. in retrospect to, yeah. to knock out 15 songs and you produced 12 of them all the way through, uh, then I had the you know, take it and and put it together as a CD and make sure each song flowed to the next one in a way that if people did listen to the entire project all the way through, it made sense. And that the songs, just like as comics, we put our jokes in a certain order to make each joke pop mm-hmm. or a live performance. You know, you do four songs before you hit the first ballad at least. Yeah, right. There's those kinds yeah. of things to think about. And so that was kind of an interesting thing along with you know, me thinking, you know, what is the very, if they don't listen to any other songs on the CD, what's the number one song I want them to hear? And put that sucker right up front mm-hmm. and then build it from that. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of what I did. And as I, if you just fast forward through the all 15 tracks, the first three seconds of each song are so different. You know, it goes, yeah. <laughs> you know, in one point it goes from ska to John Cougar Mellencamp sound and stuff to uh, heavy metal yeah. to harp. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, the harp. <laughs> yeah, which that, talk about that song for a second. So, 
I wrote the song called Awkward about just awkward situations people encountered, you know, where you just pretty much want to curl up and die or <laughs> as Southwest used to have in their commercials, want to get away, those kinds of moments. And we had done all kinds of different sounds and I walked in and you're like, check this out. And it, here's this harp playing on the beginning of it. <laughs> and I had never, ever even considered that, you know, because I don't even don't know any harp players which there's an old joke if you ever want to tell somebody you play an instrument tell me you play a harp and they're like really yeah i don't have it with me right yeah, now but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a little it's a little hard to carry around <laughs> but it totally made that song and that harp led to like angels in the background singing somehow i just added to the awkwardness mm-hmm. i don't know how but i stumbled onto that and i'm like this is just kind of weird and awkward and i don't know it just added to a pl- pleasing uncomfortable feeling for me yeah <laughs> if there is such a thing no i think it was a really good mix because the uh, you know, the lyrics were about awkward situations, but then the music being awkward as well yeah. gave it another layer. Yeah. And then even at the end of the song, we kind of fade out the song like we messed up some notes, so it's like an yeah. awkward thing. <laughs> and like you never know when the song's going to end, kind of an awkward moment. <laughs> but that was a really cool track. Um, the heavy metal track, 32,000 Feet. <laughs> what did you think about that one? Because I, I said, I would like this to be heavy metal, and you really said, I've never done a heavy metal song before, but yeah. man. I, I, was, I thought actually it crossed my mind. Uh, my son and I were watching the flight tracker on a Southwest flight coming back from Seattle a couple of days ago. And we were, it was like 29, 30 uh-huh. and it got to 32,000. And I looked at him and I, and I sang him that line and he just started laughing. We That's started great. laughing about it. Yeah. So that was super fun. Um, as a guitar player, you know, I'm, well, I play all kinds of stuff, but I, I love the rootsy stuff, Tom Petty and, and some of that that's blues rock type stuff. So then you're like, let's make it heavy. And then I just dialed up a sound that was as crunchy as I could, you know, it was just burnt and fried. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, this is this is awesome. <laughs> I just kind of let, let go for a minute there. And it really ripped through. And uh, Mark Nemec played some drums on that. Yeah, he did. Who, yeah. Who also like put the finishing touches. Yeah, mixed, mixed and put the finishing touches. Yeah, so I mean, the difference between producer... And then what Mark did, is that just another level of producing, would you say? Like, he really fine-tuned everything to make sure all the instruments stood out. You know, Nathan yeah. did a great job. Yeah. So, you know. He's great. Was um, that a producer or was that a mixer? What well, I, I would call it, I, what, what he does in, well, on this record, he, I, I would call him a mixer. Mm-hmm. Um, he mixed and did and did some little bit of mastering for it as well, which um, is kind of like the, the total icing on the cake. But, so... Yeah, technically, without getting too too bogged down in it. So I made all the tracks, um, produced them, recorded, played, performed, recorded you, coached the performances and the arrangements and what instrument's going to play where and when and all that kind of stuff and got it all together and got it to where... Yeah, I mean, you could listen to it. We were sending MP3s back and forth, and, and you could listen to it, and it sounded pretty good. Then I take it over to, to Mark, who who uh, mixes most of the projects that I do, and then he really does more of the sonic sort of locking and taming of frequencies that are too out of whack and, and some of the panning when you hear something in a left speaker or a right speaker, if you notice that when you're listening to something. you know Some of that stuff he, he keeps, because I kind of mix as I go, kind of pre-mix, and I do effects as I go. Um, um, to the vocal or maybe a drum loop, make it a little distorted or something. I do effects as I go, and then he takes my stuff and interprets it and incorporates it, and he keeps what he likes, and he <laughs> he ditches what he doesn't, and he does his own thing with it. Right. So he's kind of like, is it BASF? We don't make things, we make them better? Yeah. Is that the... Yeah. See, that's he, that's he, it's exactly right. Yeah. Put that initials yeah. in front of his name now. Yeah, he makes things better. That's, that's what he does. Um, he, you know, he's, he's been Grammy nominated for... He has been, yeah. yeah. He, uh, I was an NDRE record. 
um, called Acoustic Soul. He's worked on all kinds of stuff, um, indie projects to major label rock and country projects and all kinds of stuff. But we've been doing stuff together for a long time, and we work independently of each other. But we would do so much together that we have a, a, a unique producer-mixer relationship to where he probably puts up with more of my pre-mixing mm-hmm. maybe than other mixers that just might ignore everything. I don't know. He, and, and, and incorporates it. And we share a lot of the same equipment that we have purchased separately. So with some of the same, like if he opens something on his system and I open it on mine, we've got the same plugins and same effects because um, we do so much stuff together. And then on the flip side of him dealing with some of the, hey, I want this vocal sound, make it work. And okay, cool, I'll make it work. Well, then when we actually do tracking dates together where we've got like a band or live musicians, you know, I'm kind of the, a lot often the main point person that's communicating to everybody and putting everybody in the room, but he's really great with that stuff as well. He just doesn't talk as much as I do, <laughs> you know, but so he'll go, you know, I think that he'll make really great, real subtle comments that really change the foundation sometimes of a feel. Maybe it's a suggestion of a note choice for the bass player or the kick drum pattern of the, the drummer, which I know to a lot of just casual music listeners you're like well how does that what's the big deal with that well just some of those little things really can just change the feel of a song you know in a a big time way and uh although they may seem like sort of mundane subtle suggestions you know he's really got a great knowledge of of some production as well that's really more my wheelhouse than his he does more mixing but so we we have a nice little batman and robin kind of thing no that's good you and, know and you can have your own lingo between you yeah absolutely which that's always fun throughout the project you know we start coming up with some some terms yeah in different <laughs> spots you know and i was talking earlier about not being able to get on the beat and so nathan was like ah, it's not quite there i'm like uh, too much in the notch and not yeah, enough in not, the groove, like, in the yeah, groove. <laughs> too much notch, not enough in the groove you know <laughs> i said that something to a singer i was producing like a week ago or something like that <laughs> and she was like huh <laughs> i'm like never mind yeah <laughs> Yeah, so so that's cool. So Mark put his spin on it. It came back, and then I kind of listened to it. And through the technology now, it's, it's so great. We just uploaded to Dropbox. Yep. I downloaded, and I took that and uploaded to Disc Makers. Easy. And now it's, I think I'm six days away from getting the, the CD back. Great. So it should be here on the 22nd or something awesome. like that. So I can't wait to get it and get it out. Um, I'll put a couple of songs. I'll put the 32,000 feet, and let's go with Awkward. I'll put that at the end of this yeah. <laughs> podcast so you guys can hear just the, the, the difference between those two to kind of give you an idea of what Nathan's able to bring to the table. And then I guess a, a, just a few general questions that I'll ask for people that may be going into some CD projects and thinking mm-hmm. about um, recording. And I, I don't want to throw this one at you and and without – I guess I should have asked you if I was going to ask this question because if you don't know the answer, it's totally fine. But I know a lot of the comics that play play parodies. And do you have any general, you know, kind of rules of thumb as far as the process for getting the okay for parodies? Or do you understand that much? If not, I can follow up with your dad when I record with him. That's a great question. And I don't, I know, I do know some of the answer, but I don't know all the answer. As I actually was discussing it the other day um, about you and I talking about doing one. Right. And I was wondering about that, you know, say somebody like Weird Al, for instance, like, does he have to get the, you know, does he have to get them to sign off on the composition side of that to say that he's changing it uh you know is there is there something that he's legally get permission for i'm not sure about that i'm guessing that he is probably paying um like a harry fox or somebody like that um a royalty like as if you were recording a cover song Mm -hmm. that's my guess but i don't know the full 
the full answer on that. That's going to have to be in your uh, your publishing podcast. Yeah, well, we'll definitely put that one in there because I've got that question a lot on and off, even though I don't really do any parodies uh, in my show at all because I just can't sing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or play guitar that great, which I'm not going to let that hold me back. You know? <laughs> but, um, but that's yeah, I'll definitely follow up on the publishing podcast with that. Now, yeah, we're talking about doing a, a couple of politically-themed yeah. uh, parodies since that's the season. We've got one. If we get it put together, I'll make sure uh, you guys all hear it. It's, uh, it's super timely. It's going to be great. And it's <laughs> the, the tricky part with that one is the original song's already been parodied by Weird Al in a whole different way, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. So, But we're taking – this would be like the third – take off on the thing mm-hmm. second or third so that'll be interesting to, to see okay and then as far as so we're gonna find out the answer to this question soon we will yeah yeah uh hopefully in the next couple of weeks yeah. we'll get that ironed out then i guess the other question as far as you know people that are thinking about recording with the producer you know how would they go about finding people in their area you know i had the connection through your dad i met you years ago and and just happened to see your post on facebook that you were looking for a project but how is there websites or or finders or things like that out where people might find people in their area you know i would think that there probably are um you know here in nashville uh well and probably applies to most major music cities like the the bigger the producer the harder they are to get a hold of Mm -hmm. you know um and the harder they are to find and you're probably going to have to go through a gatekeeper to even talk to them they're going to have somebody you know that's repping them um locally i would think that um you know if you're daring enough and want to dip your toe into craigslist you know there's <laughs> that's you know use at your own uh, caution uh there's probably some people posting there looking i would say probably you know your local music store might not be a bad place to go depending on what kind of area you're in Mm -hmm. um talking around there uh, you know talking to local bands um any you know maybe even the local radio station obviously in a bigger bigger market city you're going to have more options but if you're in a smaller community you know probably starting pretty local like that you know um local bands if you're out at dinner or out at a club and you see somebody playing you may maybe ask them if you know especially if they've got cds for sale Mm -hmm. music stores things like that you know i'm seeing Seeing, I know it changes people's budgets a little bit to travel. I am seeing so many people. I mean, I live in Nashville. Most of the people that I, rec- I mean, I've recorded lots of people that live in Nashville. Don't get me wrong, but there are a surprising amount of people coming to Nashville. I, you know, it's not super expensive to fly to for most people in the U.S. Um, hotels are not super expensive. People people come in for, you know, anywhere from you know uh, three four days to five six seven days and do EP projects and mm-hmm. record projects all the time. And I, and it's not just with me. I know lots of people that, you know have other people coming from New York and Los Angeles and Chicago and Seattle and, and all over the place and just come here because of the wealth of the affordability of studios mm-hmm. and a lot of people like myself that have great home setups that can keep costs down and the resource of musicians and things like that like everything you need is is right here yeah so it's, uh, make it make a project a destination project hunk, yeah hunker in a bunker and right don't crank out a clunker right right <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah but so you know th- that's that's the one thing that i've just seen a lot of people i've worked with have approached me from from afar you know um i did a track a couple months ago from someone from from europe that was in town so people people come from all over just to come here but locally you know there's some people and and just look out and you know make sure it seems like you know maybe try and listen to some other work they've done you right. know if you're if you're if you've never worked with someone or this is the first project for you and you're maybe trying to figure out your best way to navigate spending your budget um 
you know, maybe maybe look for some samples that they've done. And this probably is, you know, 101 to anybody, but, you know, you kind of get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've definitely have seen some young artists go, oh, I, you know, it's going to cost me X to do it with this guy. It's only going to cost me X to do it with this guy. I'm going to go with this guy because it's cheaper. And then you're like, well, man, I wish I would have just came up with a little bit more money and hired right the right guys to begin with yep so however you're going to do it whoever you're going to do it with if you're thinking about doing something just you know i know that's a big commitment financially a lot of times for people but but really think it through and make sure you're going to get something that's going to serve you well yeah which actually leads my to my last question is what would be some red flags if uh you know somebody went and found a producer and they started promising this or that what would be some things where you might say, ah, this guy doesn't, you know? Oh, man. In, the, in that business, there's probably lots of red flags. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. Um, probably time frame would be number one. Wishy-washy, quickly. You know, there's a lot of... Um, I try to pride myself on never being somebody that's really been that way, but I, I have definitely encountered lots of wishy-washy folks, and, and it's probably just the creative types, and probably in all... There's wishy-washy comics, as there's wishy-washy singers, I'm mm-hmm. sure. But, you know, anybody, you know, okay, what's your time frame? If we're really thinking about it and we start talking about a budget, you know, when can you deliver this? When are we going to record? When's it going to be done? Roughly, you know, there's creative decisions that happen and things get off by a couple days here right. or there, or even a week or whatever. But, you know, making sure that someone's going to stick to a time frame as well as a budget mm-hmm. and make sure your expectations of whatever your costs are. If you're dealing in per song numbers, costs or or an all-in cost of the entire project that you make sure you understand are there going to be any extras on top of that you know uh, you know find out exactly what your your money is covering you Mm -hmm. know and if they say it's going to cost this much money make sure that's going to include musicians or if not what do we need for that or is that going to include studio is that going to include mix just figure out what those things are what your line items are those would probably be the two biggest things right and then you know we you know we know each other so we it was kind of a handshake deal for yeah. us. We didn't ever put it down on paper, although we'll put some of the the royalty stuff into yeah. to paperwork today. But what would be? I mean, I guess it's going to be whoever they deal with, however they're comfortable, however comfortable they are with them. But the time schedule for payment like you know after we got a few things down, I, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of I think it was three checks over the process yep. of it to pay you, but. Um, if somebody asked for money up front, was that a, is that a red flag or is it just a to me, it's not. I, uh, I mean, I've been doing it professionally for a long time, though, and, and I've done independent things um, like we did was really more of a handshake thing. I've done, definitely done things with record labels where there's attorneys involved mm-hmm. and they work out you know, the terms of that. But, but I think for a professional producer, someone that really knows what they're doing and, and whatnot, to, to get an advance of some sort for the project is absolutely fair. Uh-huh. You know, if, you, if you're looking to hire a producer and they say, well, you know, a lot of times for me, I've done things in thirds and I've done things half up front. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of depends on the gig and who you're working with and stuff. And I mean, there are some things, I mean, you, you work with somebody long enough and you're like, great, okay, I know we're good. I'll start working on it. And then you, you figure it out as you go and that, that happens too and that's okay. But, but half, half to a third up front in, in pretty much any project, mm-hmm. recording project is, is completely fair. So I would not, you know, for those of you out there thinking about or wanting to talk to a producer or, or an engineer team or a studio team, if they do ask for some sort of deposit or advance, whatever term you want to use, you know, I would not be, uh, I think that's normal in a professional world. Yeah. But probably, yeah. probably some paperwork with that. Just so. Yeah. You, very well. Could be. Yeah. Absolutely. Just there so could you guys be. know the, if you had, if you can't be on the same page, if there's not a page, that's exactly right. You know, the, 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 <laughs> the thing that the one thing that I just thought of that I would shy away from, um, is if you are paying for it, 
and you're paying the producer or, or musicians, whatever, a, a, a reasonable amount, whatever you guys come up with, there are there obviously are things that could contradict that or what I could say, but typically you should be owning your own masters, your own content. And the producer then may get a may get some sort of royalty with sound exchange or some other thing that you may work out with them, but typically they should not be getting, you know, like owning your masters. If you work out a publishing thing with them, that's fine. Work out what you want. But that shouldn't be like you have to pay them and give them, you know, uh, publishing or masters. It's, so, so you should be owning your own stuff, you know, unless you really have such a low budget and the producer says, hey, I'll do it, but I want to co-own this stuff with you or something like right. that. That's a different thing if you work that out. But, but that's one other thing. If you encounter someone that's asking you for the moon and the stars, and you're trying to hire them for their services. Right. That that could be a little bit of a red flag. Now, that's a great, great point. I, I think we'll leave it there because it's, uh, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah. If they want, I'm a big fan of owning everything that you ever do. Um, so you have control of it. There's famous stories out there of guys that signed away the ownership and it yeah. showed up in different places and wasn't supposed to be there and they never saw any money from it yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So cool. Well, if anybody wants to get track of you, if they happen to be, I know we've got listeners in the Nashville area, but if anybody is thinking about getting a project done, where can they find you online? Uh, is it NathanMeckle.com? Yep, NathanMeckle.com. You can find me there. There's some samples of some music. I've, I can't post things that I've done for record labels because they own them. Right, right. <laughs> Hence our last little, but there's, there's a few samples on there. There's definitely a resume of some of the film and TV networks I've done music for and some of the record labels and things like that. Yep. Cool. And I'll put that in the show notes so you guys can just hit a click and go over there and check it all out. Great. Uh, thanks, Nathan, for being here today. Thank you, man. And Gavin, roll those tunes. Nike's con 
Converse Asics, let's get back to hygiene basics. Athletes, foot, hammer, toe, someone call in Dr. Shows. <laughs> Who turned up the airplane's heater? Please break out the odor eaters. Your unwashed feet, unsatisfactory, wreaking havoc on my old factory. 32,000 feet, I have to puke. 32,000 feet, where's my parachute? down the street and you trip on your feet and you hear somebody laugh it's really awkward especially if it's your mom when you're at a red light and you're picking your nose and the guy next to you is taking videos it's awkward and now it's on youtube it's a moment you wish you could erase like when you made change in the offering plate that's awkward Say, hey man, when's your baby do? And she says it's not and punches you. That's awkward. Especially if it's your mom. When you ask to speak to the man of the house and he says I am and knocks you out. It's awkward. And time for an eye exam. It's a moment you wish you could take back. Like when Ozzy bit the head off of that bat. It's awkward. And tastes like chicken. When a cop sees you in the checkout line With an axe, a bag, and a ball of twine You stop by your boss's home And overflowed his commode It's a moment you wish you were dead But you quit your job and climb out The window instead Sent a text to your girlfriend's dad saying, I want to see you soon, I miss you bad. It's awkward. And now he's Facebook friends. You get startled from behind and punch grandma in the eye. It's awkward. And one less Christmas card to send. It's a moment you wish could disappear. Like when you waved at your friend behind the auctioneer. That's awkward. And now you own an autographed air guitar. On a blind date, she's into you, but you spill some salt on the braille menu. That's awkward. And a real blind date. You try your French at a swank cafe and order the horn to cat souffle. That's awkward. And it tastes like chicken. It's a moment you wish you could take back. Like the time you smacked a lumberjack. That's awkward. Really hurts.
listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.